welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Right, today we continue our fire series with a, a classic, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And uh, earlier this week on Twitter, I called it the three amigos in the Enfuego furnace. But uh, you know, hey, it's having a little fun. And uh, but this is a great story. And if you did not grow up in Sunday school, um, this is one that you're going to love to hear about. And those of you that grew up in Sunday school and you know this story. Uh, this is just a, a classic. There's so much good here. And I want to point out some things. We're going to read the whole chapter of Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, I thought about it. It's a lot of scripture, but it tells the whole story. And uh, I just want you to hear the whole thing and to be able to settle in and grab a hold of it. Uh, I'll give you a little history of what's going on. Um, God's people, the Israelites, okay? Just so you know, God chose the Israelites, the Jewish people, so that he could bring Jesus to forgive us of our sins. So he was protecting this people group all throughout history so they could get to the moment that they would bring forth Jesus. We find the Israelite people, the Jewish people, they're in captivity. God does not want them to be in captivity, but that's where they are, and they're in the Babylonian empire. And as they're there, we see these three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have a, a moment where they have to stand up for God, and that's what we're going to look at here but we also see that there were other people that were taken as slaves to serve in the Babylonian Empire. You may know of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, so these people are, are, are serving in the courts of the king in Babylon, and uh, they're, they're not supposed to be slaves. God wants to set them free eventually, but he's still very much involved in their everyday life. And that's where we pick up the story here. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and listen to what it says. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the de dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then they heard the herald loudly proclaim, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the music and they must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of your province in Babylon, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God besides their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That is an amazing story. We could just stop right there, but there's still more time. So let's go. All right. Okay, just so you understand, the king, the king was an absolute monarch. He had absolute power. He had the ability, according to this text, 
He had the ability to, to destroy people with an army that could cut you down. He had the ability to bulldoze your house and make it nothing but a pile of rubble. He had apparently a furnace that he could kill you and throw you in. If you know Daniel chapter six, he had a lion's den that he could throw you in and kill you. This guy was powerful. And you got to understand, these guys are defying somebody who was the ultimate authority in the land according to what people believed. This guy had major, major power. And in the text, you see that it lists all the people, the magistrates, the prefects, all these people. It's listing them over and over and over again to show you how powerful this man was and how amazing it was that these three guys go and defy the king. If ever there was peer pressure, there was peer pressure in this situation because anyone who was anyone was there. Okay, so in the midst of this, they say we are gonna stand up and it's unthinkable that they would stand up and say we are not gonna bow, we are not gonna do this, we are gonna stand up and say what we believe in. And it's interesting that in verse eight, it says that people came to the king and reported that they weren't bowing. Have you ever noticed that when you stand up for God, people report it? They report it. In Daniel chapter six, it talks about Daniel not bowing down in another situation. And it says, people went and reported it. People will always report it. You stand up for God, they're like, hey, they're not doing it. I can remember um, people when we were uh, using the school, our, our church used to be in a school and we'd set up and tear down and we had portable church. And I can remember somebody calling the school district saying, hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's a church that meets in the school on Sundays, and I thought there's separation of church and state, and I wanted to call and let you know that they're in the school. And they're like, we know they're there, they pay us rent, okay, you know? But they had to call, they had to make sure they let it be known, like, hey, hey, they're out there doing it. Maybe you pray at your workplace, and you pray over your lunch. I guarantee you somebody would go like, hey, hey, they're praying, can they pray? What are they doing? They're praying over their lunch. Is that legal in our company? Well, it's just, it's their lunch. Did they force you to pray? You know, how many know people will say it? I don't know, can they do that? So that's what's going on. They're, they're saying, hey, they're, they're doing this. They're doing this. And we've noticed they're standing up. They're standing against the crowd. Now it's interesting. It's interesting. If you're older than 30, 35 years old, you grew up in a time where if you stood up for God, it wasn't really that noticed. It was the norm. How many know what I'm talking about? It was the norm. You grew up. It was just assumed that you were a person of faith. It wasn't abnormal that you would believe in, in the things of the Bible and you would want to stand up for God. But now today, if you stand up for God, it's something that stands out. You are noticed. If you have conviction, if you have belief, if you have a stance on anything, it'll stand out because the world is coming against anyone that wants to stand up for the things of God. I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, ask Pastor Louis Giglio, who was invited to pray at the president's inauguration and said yes. And then people, people started looking through his old sermons and said, he said this and he said that. I can't believe you're gonna have a guy like that, a pastor that would actually preach that from the Bible, pray at the inauguration, uninvite him, don't let him pray because people came around and reported it. So he has to step back. If you don't think people are still watching today and standing up for righteousness, doesn't make you stand out 
Think about Chick-fil-A. If you're like, Chick-fil-A, this is what they believe. And somebody said this, and, and, and we're going to go after them. Come on, lighten up. It's a chicken sandwich. You know? Mozilla, you know, you stand up for anything. People, people, they heard it, they found it, they saw it. They'll report it. They'll let you know. That's what's happening here. Put it in context. So they report these three, and we don't know where Daniel is. I've tried to figure out where in the world is Daniel, because we know Daniel was part of this group of guys. And the best thing that we can figure out is that Daniel was probably on a diplomatic assignment, and he was out of the area. Otherwise, he would have stood up to for God. So Daniel, in all likelihood, is out of town. He's on a diplomatic assignment when this happens, and these three people are, are put on the spot. And to me, that makes this story more believable because Daniel doesn't always have to be the superhero for every story. Does that make sense? Somebody like, where's Daniel? I don't know if I believe it. I believe it even more because it's not like, here I am to save the day. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's their moment. Daniel's not there. And Daniel's letting you know that everybody has a moment. Everybody gets their moment, and the question is, will you stand up for God or not? Now, a couple of things I want to point out, and a lot of pastors will preach this passage, and they'll just use this point. And I don't want to miss this point, but there's a couple more that I want to give to you. But the first thing is this in, in verses 17 and 18. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we won't serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. They said, we know that God can do the miraculous. We know that God can do the powerful, and, and we believe that he can. And so we're not bowing to you. And even if he doesn't do that, we're still not bowing to you. It doesn't matter. We're not bowing. We know who we're loyal to. It's the but if not. Okay, now, if you remember early in the year, we had the four chairs, well, you know, the young Christian, the child Christian, the young adult, and the mature believer. The young adult would answer this question. He would say like, okay, God, I'm gonna stand for you, and I'll be loyal if you protect me, okay? He puts conditions on it, and he says, so I'm gonna stand for you, and I need a miracle. I need the idol to fall down, okay? So when I stand, you have fall down. If it doesn't fall down, I'm out, I'm kneeling, okay? That's the young adult Christian. The mature believer says, God, it doesn't matter. I'm standing up. I know you can do this. I know you can do that, okay? Their loyalty to God is not based on an outcome, but any outcome, okay? That's maturity. It's not based on this outcome. It's anything you choose, God, I'm loyal, okay? You need to realize this. You stay loyal to God no matter what. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. That's in his hands. You stay loyal no matter what. You just serve him, and you don't put conditions on your loyalty. You say, God, wherever you're taking me, I'm in for the journey. I'm in for the journey. You say, well, what if I lose my job? Who cares if you lose your job? You're not on this earth to have a job. You're not there. God's saying, be loyal to me. Who cares about that job? And you let God prove himself faithful and see how he rewards you. I'm just saying, you stand up for him. You say, well, will I get a better job? Any outcome, you don't know. They got promoted, you may not. But I'll tell you what, you know what you'll get? You'll get to sleep at night. 
You'll have the respect of your friends and your family. You'll have your integrity. And you know what? God will give you rewards that'll be better than money. And whatever he doesn't pay up on this side of eternity, he always settles on that side of eternity. And he's going to say, well done. So you just serve him no matter what it is. And don't sit there and look at a pros and cons list. Living for eternity outweighs anything that could ever be on that side. Living for eternity just outweighs it, and that's what we're going to do. So even if God doesn't deliver us in this way, we're serving God no matter what. That's, that's part. That's one thing. The thing that stood out to me, though, for us and for our church and for this generation, especially 30 and under, in verse 14, it says, And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? And I want to focus on, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and is it is it true that you would stand against me? And I want to tell you, the attack that the enemy is leveling against this generation that wants to stand up for Christ, the attack that he's doing is like, is it true? You really believe that? Wow. Wow. I can't believe you believe that. I remember I was standing up and defending my faith, and recently a guy looked at me and he goes, Wow. I didn't know you guys still existed. Wow. Is it true you really believe that? Wow, I thought you guys were gone. I was like, no, there's only two billion of us on the planet that believe the word of God, okay? You know? But that's the attack. That's the attack. In Genesis chapter 3, give me a little leeway here, okay? Think about the devil talking to Adam and Eve. Is it true? You're not going to touch that? Wow. Is it true? You really think that God, hmm, if you were enlightened, you'd touch that. Wow, is it true you're going to be obedient? Think about it. That's been his attack. Jesus in the wilderness. Is it true? You're really going to the cross. Huh. Wow, I could give you a shortcut. Is it true you really want to stand up? Wow. I take the easy way. Okay, if that's stretching a little bit, Acts 19, no stretching at all with this. The Apostle Paul is at the church at Ephesus. Ephesus has this temple of Artemis, okay? Temple of Artemis, roughly 24,000 people could go and worship at one time, okay? So the Apostle Paul is establishing the church there, and they're starting to lose people to Christianity. And the people get upset because Artemis is their God. Artemis is their temple, and they've got all sorts of bad things going on, and they have this special deal going on with selling idols and all this, and they're losing money, and they're losing control over the people. And I'm telling you what, anytime the world says, is it true? They want to have control over you, and they want your money, and they want, is it true? Really? You believe that? Wow. And so here's the thing I want to point out. Just because the leaders, just because the authorities, just because the scientists, just because the political parties, just because the president, just because whoever says it doesn't mean it's true. They will throw the, is it true? It's undeniable. It's, you can't dispute this fact. It's indisputable. These facts are true. Okay, I want to tell you, you can't believe what the leaders will say all the time. Sometimes they have a hidden agenda. I'm just telling you, in Acts 19, here's what they said. Acts 19, verse 35, it says, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know 
that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. Think about that. He's basically saying in front of 24,000 people, guys, this guy, Paul, he doesn't know that this is our, we all, we all know that, right? Consensus says 97%. Say this, this is, it's, it's settled law. This is the truth. And that's the way the world attacks us. You have to learn to stand up for what you believe in because is it true? Is the sarcastic just attack against you and the world will come after you? I'm telling you right now, the world is coming. Is it true? And I'll give you a few of these things. Now, I'm saying this. We're not going after the world. In case you didn't know, in in River Valley Church, we don't say like, everybody grab your sign. We're going to pick it. How many know we don't do that? Okay, we're just saying, be the salt, be the light, be different, stand up for God, love God. Okay, but the world is coming at us. The world is, and you better be ready for this because it's going to only intensify because they want to come at, is it true? And here's why it bothers them. Because we believe there's one God, that there's one way to heaven, that's it. We don't believe, like, if we were to say, like, all roads lead to God and anything will work, they'd be like, okay, good for you, way to stand in line. But as soon as you say in the area of salvation, they say, is it true? Is it true that you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Wow, is it true? As soon as you say that, that's like fighting words to the world. And they come after you, like, really, you believe that? And you say, yeah, I really do. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And I believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through him. But the beautiful thing is he forgives everyone, including you. You could get in on this. And I believe this. Wow, I didn't know that you believe that. Is it true you believe creation? Wow. I thought you, did you go to college? Wow, I never thought you were from Kentucky. You know, wow. <laughs> Whatever, I just do that. Sorry, Kentucky. All right, yeah. <laughs> Nothing against Kentucky. Science says, the majority says, this, I mean, really, I can't believe you believe that. I mean, I, I'll say to people on evolution versus creation, I'll say, well, what if God created the earth in an aged state? I mean, Adam and Eve weren't embryos. They were adults. What if God created an aged earth that was ready to sustain them? What if it's intelligent design and and, and he created that? What if God spoke and bang, it happened? I mean, what what about the unexplained first cause? What about the fact that we are missing links? What about there's nothing in intermediary forms, halfway monkey, halfway man? What about all this? They're like, wow, I can't believe you believe that. Is it true? Wow. Traditional marriage. Wow, is it true that you really believe marriage is one man, one woman? I started to say to people, I believe in the classic definition. I like Coke classic and I like marriage classic. (laughs) I believe in the procreation definition. I believe in the historical definition. I believe in the living illustration of how much Christ loves the church definition. And they shame our teens into trying to believe something that anything can qualify as marriage because, is it true? 
you would really believe that? Yeah, I really, really believe that. I really believe that's what's best. Wow. Is it true that you believe life begins at conception? Wow. Really? And even though science is starting to show that life begins at conception, as we get to look inside the womb, they ignore science because it doesn't work for them that way. But they still use it. Is it true? Wow. Hmm. Is it true? I'm telling you what, you've got to learn to defend your faith and stand strong and don't let the tone, some of you can hear the tone. Right now you're like, that's exactly how my uncle talks to me. You know, you know, or my neighbor, my coworker, my whatever. All right? Here's the thing you got to understand. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, one translation says, we don't have to be careful on how we answer you, okay? What they're saying is, we know what we believe in. Now, we're going to be gracious in our answer, and I think this is something key for us. Let's be full of grace when we answer. We should never go, yeah, I believe it. Why? You want to do something about it? No, don't do that, all right? We should say, I do believe this. I believe it. Jesus Christ changed my life, and I believe this, and I believe this to be true. And we can be gracious, but we don't have to be careful. How many know the world has got the church answering so careful? They're kind of like, do you believe salvation is only in the name of Jesus? We're like, well, when you talk about salvation, do you mean salvation, salvation, or other salvation? Because I believe heaven is good, and heaven's good, and we could all agree heaven's good. Don't we all want to go to heaven? There you go. And you're like, I don't think you answered the question. Next question, please. You know, like, really? You know, I mean, we're so careful. We're like, what do you mean salvation? Okay, I don't have to be careful. I have to be gracious, but I don't have to be careful. I believe this. Yes, I really do. And if I love you, I'll tell you the truth, and I'll answer this with as much grace as I can give you. But I believe this, and I don't have to be careful. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we don't have to be careful in this. We don't have to be careful. We get to say it like it is, because we believe this. There's no backing down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's how we should do it. Gentleness and respect. But I'm telling you what, I got the answer. I know what I believe, and I'm going to say what I believe, and I'm not backing down. But how many know the world wants to give us excuses and excuses and excuses? And a lot of Christians grab excuses like they're the greatest gift that God has ever given us. And it's a sad thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't use any of these excuses, and they might sound familiar to you. Well, you know, hey, guys, uh, we're not in our homeland anymore. We're actually in Babylon. So, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans, you know. And I kind of, you know, uh, if we're, I mean, if we're at home, if we're in Israel, we totally wouldn't do this. But, I mean, being here, we can do, I mean, you know, after all. I mean, if that's your attitude, guess what? You're never home, okay? Hebrews chapter three thirteen says, for this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. So guess what? You're always looking for your place, Okay? Don't, yet, don't let your location determine your loyalty. We're loyal everywhere. They didn't use the excuse, well, we're elected officials. 
We've been elected, you know, we're elected, you know, it's kind of politics, separation of church and state, and, you know, I mean, you know, we're elected. I mean, you know, we are over a lot of territory, and, you know, we can kind of leave our faith at home, and so when we're in the office, we got to kind of put that and compartmentalize that, and we have all sorts of political leaders using that excuse. You say, well, I'm not in politics. Well, guess what? People say, well, he's my boss. They could have said that. He's our boss. We work for the king. And after all, I don't want to make the boss angry, so we'll go along with it. We'll kind of do it. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I just, you know, he's our boss. He's our boss. They could have said, well, on the inside, we'll be standing up like crazy. On the outside, we'll bow down. But on the inside, total rebellion. We'll be standing up, and the king won't know it, but we'll just kneel down. And on the inside, totally not agreeing with this. Man, think about that. We do it all on the inside. I don't really believe that. I just kind of go along with the thing. You know, I just kind of go along. They think they could have used this excuse. You know what? I'll lose my influence. If I stand up, I'll lose my, I could lose my job. And after all, the job pays well. And I'm a kingdom builder because of that. And if I lose my job and I can't be a kingdom builder, surely God would not want me to do that. I mean, after all, we're trying to raise $5 million. And so God would really want me to be a kingdom builder. So I can't lose my influence. And, you know, so I got to stay there. Matter of fact, I would never want to lose my life. I mean, if I lost my life, I mean, that'd be horrible. I mean, because how many know like a dead Christian can't do any work? So, you know, you got to stay alive if you want to make a difference. How sad. How sad. If you think sinning makes you more effective for God, think again. Yet we use these excuses so easy. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What if we live dead and say, hey, guess what? We're standing up for God no matter what. We're standing up for God no matter what. It'd be so easy for the young lady in Sudan. That young lady is in prison right now for becoming a Christian and gave birth to her baby while she was in shackles. And they're going to execute her for standing up for Jesus Christ. And it'd be really easy for her to say, hey, what good can I do in this country if if I die? I mean, I'm just going to go along with it, and I'm just going to live to fight another day. They didn't use that excuse. What if, what if they just said, well, we'll repent later? It's not like it's a lifestyle. It's just one moment. We'll just do it this one time. Then we'll repent, tell God we're sorry, and then we'll move on. What if they just said, everyone's doing it? Everyone's doing it. And I mean, the pressure, the consensus, the scientists, the respected leaders, man. Everyone's doing it. We got to do it. I thank God they didn't. I thank God they stood up. I thank God that they had a backbone and they said, we're standing up. We don't care. And I think the amazing thing is, of course, in this story, God delivers them. We know from the book of Hebrews that other people didn't get delivered in the same way, but they still got delivered. And I love it that they're getting thrown into the fiery furnace. And if you can just picture that with me, how many know they had to have been nervous just like you and I would have been? When you have your moment to stand up with God, let me guarantee you, your heart will race, your palms will be sweaty, and all your saliva will be gone. (laughs) And you will be standing there, and all the rational excuses will be rolling in your mind. 
You're a teenager at school. Do you really, is it true? You're at the work, is it true? You're in your neighborhood, is it true? And all that, would you, shh. But I'm telling you what, you need to stand up. They were just like us. And there came a moment as they were going to the furnace, I guarantee you, they're like, it's been a pleasure serving with you. It's been a pleasure being your friend, man. I'll see you in the other side of eternity. See you later. And all of a sudden, they got closer and like, guys, I am not feeling any heat. Guys, I'm feeling overwhelming peace. Are you feeling this peace? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? This is incredible. I think our ro- they just died. <laughs> the rope, they're dead. We're alive. This is incredible. Who's this coming towards us? Oh my goodness. This is incredible. And, and here's what I'm thinking, like, how in the world did God look in that moment that he looked incredible in the midst of fire? Did he look like air conditioning? I don't know. I don't know. But in that moment, I'm telling you what, there was a peace. There was a joy. There was an incredible experience that they experienced with God. They had no guarantee, but I think God was like, look at them standing up. Look at them. They're going to be an example for me forever and ever and ever. Kids are going to learn about them forever and ever and ever. Some I'm going to save that way. Some I'm going to bring right into eternity. They're going to die by the fire and they'll be hugged by me. But either way, they're going to come into my presence. Man, amazing things. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. God's in control. God's in control. Grab that from that story. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. God is in control, and if the world comes against you, is it true? With joy, you could say, it's true. With grace, but with joy, it's true. I believe this. They may walk away shaking their head, but inside, they're shaking in their boots because they're like, how can these guys believe that? How can that young lady believe that? How can they really live that way? Man, that's how we need to live for Christ. That's how we need to live, and it's only going to get harder and harder. And so if you're under 30, I want to pray a special blessing on you. If you're older than 30, I'm telling you, you've grown up in a day and age where it was easy, moral majority. Many of you remember the moral majority. Man, it was easy. You could go to political rally, moral majority. Now it's not there anymore. Under 30 faces a whole different pressure than if you're over 30. And so if you're under 30, here at all of our campuses, go ahead, raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Under 30. I'm praying for everyone, but specifically under 30, I want to pray a blessing on you. So God, you see these hands that are up now, they're under 30. They are living in a world that says, is it true? I can't believe you would believe that. There should be many ways to God. And they're going to stand up and say, there's one way to God. They would say, is it true? You really want to save yourself for marriage? Yes, it's true. That's the way they want to live. Is it true you really believe in God's definition of marriage? Yes, it's true, but I'm not mean about this. I just love what God says. Is it true? God, I pray they'd have the strength to stand up for you. They would have uh, the ability to catch the attention of the world around them because of the way they live gracious lives, godly lives, lives that stand up for what's true, God. And I pray a blessing on them. May they have the, the backbone and the ability to stand up for righteousness. May they never deny you. Never, never deny you. May they remember, if they're ashamed of you, you'll be ashamed of them. That's not the way they're going to live. They're they're not going to live that way. They're going to live with boldness and confidence and the ability to say, I believe this, and I love you enough to tell you the truth, and I'll be gracious, 
but I will always stand true for my Savior. So blessings on them. May they stand true for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.